Welcome to another edition of the Hangout Podcast. This is your host, Juan Hernandez. Thank you guys for tuning in to the show. I hope you guys have been enjoying these past few episodes during this uh, quarantine, which continues to, to move on, as they say. Uh, today's guest is a, a very special guest. We've been working on this for quite some time, and fortunately, we've finally been able to connect via Skype and have a little free time uh, to chat. Uh, uh, introduce yourself. Hey guys, uh, my name is Brian Marvin. I'm the head instructor of Hensler Gracie Houston um, here in Sugarland, Texas, right outside of Houston. Um, I own and operate this place. I'm retired from active duty Army. I served uh, 20 years in the Army, and uh, right before I retired, I opened up this place, and it's been open uh, for almost six years now. I've got a couple other academies that I'm partners with, uh, Hensler Gracie Lake Houston and the northeast side of Houston. Enzo Gracie, The Grove, Enzo Gracie, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Enzo Gracie, Clarksville, Tennessee, uh, and then uh, Riverstone down here, Enzo Gracie, Riverstone, getting ready to open up probably in uh, July time frame. That one will open up. I just came from there today. Uh, just talking with uh, Jim, the contractor, the, uh, the superintendent on that, about uh, the plan to get that thing started. And that should start uh, probably next week. Got a put some windows and doors in so we can secure the location so that way they can have tools and people aren't stealing stuff from me. But uh, that should start probably next week. So looking forward to getting that one going. It's going to be a smaller 2,000 square foot uh, or just over 2,000 square foot academy um, in the Siena Plantation, Riverstone uh, area of uh, Sugar Land in Missouri City, right where those two kind of meet up against each other. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for your service uh, to this country. You know, I've, I've always been big on you know ever since i was little i've always loved you know the military in general uh whether whatever branch could be air force navy army the marines um i don't know just something i've always gravitated towards and to the point where i almost joined the national guard while i was in college you know for personal reasons uh that didn't work out uh you know i guess i had other plans as they say but what I guess my question would be, was it for you, was it more a personal decision to enlist in the, in the army or is it more Actually, uh, something that you, I was, was going to join the Marines at a, in high school and then I ended up getting a scholarship to wrestle at uh, Miami of Ohio university, a division one school. And I ended up signing the national letter of intent and going to college instead for a little bit. But the reason I was going to join the military was because, you know, I, I, I'm really not that, type of a college student, nor did I see myself uh, working in a, a career that um, a college education was needed for. I'm, I'm more of a hands-on or a um, vocational type of person. I've always been involved with some type of construction. Even in high school, I was doing uh, roofing and siding houses with wrestling coaches and um you know, grew up working with my grandfather who owned a heating and air conditioning business and uh, doing things with him. So that type of environment and that type of learning um, has, I, I'd always been drawn towards. Uh, I wanted to do something in law enforcement too, um, but I, I, I went to college to be a teacher and, uh, and the job that I was going to teach was physical education. And I wanted to be a wrestling coach. Um, once I made that decision and signed the National Letter of Intent to go to school, that's 
what I figured that I would do. I figured that that would be close enough to the things that I like to do, and I would want to do something like that for longer. And then when I went to school, I really figured out that what I had suspected that you know, college just wasn't for me. I wasn't very mature at the time. It took me a long time to kind of mature as a as a kid growing up. And uh, you know, one of the things that I did once I stopped going to school was I joined the army. Um, I I really the Marine recruiter burned some bridges with me when uh, when that whole process went down. I was completely upfront and honest with him. Um, I, but you know, I was an army recruiter as well. So I understand that kids say things and sometimes they embellish them a little bit, or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. But you know, if he would have done any research, he would have known that the things that I was telling him were coming true. And when I signed the national letter of intent, I told him, you know, unless I get a scholarship to wrestle, that's the only reason I'm not going to join. So I ended up getting a scholarship and man, he cussed me up one side down the other. I wasted all this time on you. And I'm like, dude. One, you didn't waste any time on me. I had to drive 30 minutes every time that I would have to go see you. You would never come to me. You never went to my school. I always had to go to you. So, I mean, it's like the waste of time was mine, not yours. So, once uh, once I quit college and uh, started working some more, I decided that I, I needed a little bit more maturity and some direction and probably a little bit of discipline, discipline in my life. And so, uh, I decided to join the Army. And, uh, initially it was only going to be for a little bit of time to try to get some maturity and go back and wrestle in college. Um, but I ended up every time I would come time for me to reenlist, I would always weigh my options. What's the best thing for me and my family, whether it be to stay in, get out or a combination of those two things, uh, go part-time instead of full-time. And it, it was always the most beneficial thing to stay in. And then once I got past 10 years, it, it didn't make any sense for me to get out at that point. If I just do 10 more, I could retire and then I would be able to have benefits for myself and my family for the rest of my life. So it, it just became a kind of a no brainer at that point. They've changed. I think that they've changed a little bit of how that works. So it's a different situation now for people coming in, but the situation that I was in for me and my family was staying. And then when it came time for, I had the opportunity to retire and the same thing, is it more beneficial to stay in or get out? And I found it was more beneficial to get out at that time. And then uh, take advantage of, of uh, being able to open up my own business and uh, explore that as a career teaching Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So how, how old were you were, were you then when you joined versus when you finally retired? Uh, 19 and 39. 39, so straight 20 years. Yeah. That's insane. What would you tell 19-year-old uh, Brian now if you were to go back and give him some advice? Go into special operations immediately. Don't wait. Mm -hmm. So it, um, that that type of environment, I really operated well in when I was assigned to or attached to a special operations unit. Uh, I recruited for them, so I got to be involved in a lot of their training and be around that uh, atmosphere. And it, that that atmosphere is much more on the level of how I like to operate. Um, it was just the, the perfect scenario when I was assigned to that to that unit. And I've made lifelong friends, uh, still currently um, one of my best friends just retired. Uh, I met him. Our kids played football together. And uh, it was great to see him retire. Like literally I was supposed to be going to his retirement ceremony March 27th up in Fort Riley, Kansas. <clears throat> and because of all this, I wasn't able to go support him on that, which really kind of hurt my feelings because that guy's been uh, important to me. His name's Nick Contreras, 
and uh, he's in uh, Clarksville, back in with his family in Clarksville, Tennessee now, and uh, it's just great that he's retired. But uh, you know, I met lifelong friends uh, doing that, and I was able to uh, take advantage of a lot of training opportunities that some people aren't able to. So I was very thankful for that as well. And uh, when I left that unit to go back to a traditional Army unit, it was just that's that's kind of what helped me make the decision about getting that when I be back into that type of environment. Well, we're as far as as far as when I'm looking at the timeline, as far as uh, any major, what major events were taking place during that time, during your time in the military, as far as you know, for the audience uh, that would probably remember. Uh, a lot of things. I mean, um, I got I came in the army right at the end of Desert Storm. Okay. Um, so that that technically was still kind of going on um, when I joined. And then um, I think Bosnia happened, Iraq, Afghanistan, both of those happened. Um, so a lot of different things along the way uh, happened during that time that I was in. Right, right, right. And, and you know, of course, there's always going to be people, social media, what have you. I'm sure you've read and seen the comments, you know, politics aside, uh, people will always have an opinion when it comes to you know, certain things that the country does as far as military operations, this and that. And, of course, dating way back to God knows when, you know, the Vietnam War, uh, Desert Storm, 9-11. Uh, kind of from your perspective, how do you... Because, I mean, in, in my opinion, I feel that if you haven't actually been in that situation, you shouldn't be, you know, just spewing things right off the bat. You know, and don't know exactly what's going on. I guess there's a lot of ignorance is what I'm trying to say uh, when it comes to people talking about that stuff. Well, a lot of talk, a lot of people talk about a lot of things that <clears throat> they don't necessarily know about but have an opinion about. Um, so that happens a lot of times. Uh, right. People assume or um, think they know what something is or does. I mean, case in point being the situation that we're in right now. Correct. You know, um, a lot of people are making decisions that are negatively affecting other people and they're, they're isolating a certain group, but then they're not isolating another certain group that's in the same context of operation. Um, they're clumping a lot of people in together, uh, that aren't necessarily together. So even in this situation that we're dealing in right now, I mean, life itself, um, especially people sitting behind a keyboard want to definitely have an opinion on something and, and be able to try to call out somebody on a decision that they've made for them and their situation. Um, you know, everybody makes their own decisions for themselves. Right. So, and their, and their specific situation, but I've never really tried to listen to people that hated on one thing or another. I'm, um, I'm an independent thinker. Uh, I, well, I try to think of myself as an independent thinker. Obviously, I have a very strong opinion on things that I have an opinion on. I have a very strong personality about things. So, I mean, I, I definitely freely admit that. And I'm never um, blind to a person's opinion, nor will I ever not be respectful to a person's opinion because it's their opinion. But ultimately, you know, everybody's got their own mind and decision what's best for them. And so, you know, when you when I do run into or where I've heard people criticize 
people that may have been in the military or certain situations or conflicts or this or that and another thing. Man, everybody's too entitled to their opinion. I just know the situation that I've been in. And I loved, I mean, there were good times and bad times while I was in. But overall, I mean, I, I loved my service uh, to the Army. I don't talk about it too much. Uh, I mean, I bring it up when people ask about me. Right. Just mm-hmm. because, you know, it's, I, it's kind of relevant to my life, you know, because I spent 20 years doing that. But, um, but yeah, nowadays, I, I usually don't hardly ever wear anything that says army or military it's not like i'm ashamed of it it's just like that was a different part of my life right now, uh-huh. now my life is my business and and conducting it and i i want to live for what i'm in right now what i not what i did you know years ago right so. right 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 and you feel that you know i i had a i had a friend who has since passed away who was in the in the air force passed away a few months ago and you know, he would always, we worked together, a unit supervisor, and he would always, the way he would approach these, these kids that we work with, these uh, juvenile delinquents, the way he would just talk to them as opposed to other people that I knew working with me, uh, I was always taken aback at that, and I always looked for, to him for advice because he was always, you know, he would always talk to the kids instead of, you know, just trying to, just trying to, I guess put them down for whatever they did because at the end of the day these kids really don't have any guidance there's always a father figure that's not there and they they kind of need that that push so you know i would always go to him and he would always give me tips of you know when i started working there i believe it was about 23 and of course i didn't know anything about anything and so he's always telling me he's like look i'm not telling you how to do your job but you know if i were you this is what I would do, you know, just a suggestion. And of course, nine times out of 10, I would take that suggestion. And he would always right. tell us stories about, you know, his time in the military, of course, like you said, good and bad. Uh, he was, he was around, uh, I believe he was, when he was stationed, he was there for both nine 11 and, uh, the Iraq war. Uh, luckily he, he told us he never went into any combat. So hence why he was able to make it back. Um, Unfortunately, he passed away health-related issues, uh, but that's a lot. That's a lot that I really take away from my time with working with him. Uh, just a stand-up guy, and uh, so you did mention that you you mentioned wrestling. I'm assuming that was a natural progression to where you're at now. Um, going back to that. The I'm, tr- I'm trying to I'm trying to get it together here. <laughs> I'm just kind of going on the fly as I go. Uh, so I wrestled pretty much. You started wrestling. Uh-huh. I played baseball. I wrestled. I played soccer my whole life, uh, which is uh, crazy for a lot of people to think about me playing soccer. But yeah, I love soccer. I played soccer. Like we started the soccer program in the town that I was in, and uh, um, so I played soccer from the time that I was probably five years old till the time that I graduated high school. I mean, the entire time. And, and I found wrestling when I was about, I think in sixth grade or something like that. When I got into middle school, my brother actually started wrestling before I did. Um, I played a bunch of different sports just cause I was athletic and uh, I tried basketball. I didn't like it, but when my brother started wrestling, I ended up trying it the next year and loved it and, uh, wrestled the rest of, uh, middle school, high school, college while I was in the army um, I was coaching wrestling at the high school level, um, assistant coaching at a couple of different places. I started in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, um, at Kennedy High School up there with uh, Dennis Heenick, was a head coach. 
and uh, got to amazing experience learning how to coach wrestling in um, Iowa, which was awesome. Moved from there to uh, Missouri, which was a little bit different environment. And then when I moved the second time to a different town in Missouri while I was in the Army, um, I just decided at that point that I wanted to get back into competing. And, uh, you know, they don't have very many tournaments for old people. You know, I was early 30s, mid 30s at that time. And uh, so they don't have very many wrestling tournaments for old people, you know, outside of when you get out of high school or get out of college and start wrestling on the international level. But, you know, that's a whole different animal in itself. So the closest thing to wrestling and competing in that that aspect was submission grappling and jiu-jitsu. The town that I ended up, that I was living in, was in St. Joseph, Missouri. And I ended up finding an an academy called uh, Lone Wolf MMA. It's now uh, 10th Planet, I think Kansas City. Uh, it's uh, ran up there. He converted it um, to a uh, Jeremy Horton is the instructor that's there. And the one that I started jiu-jitsu with or submission grappling at that school, I ended up fighting MMA eight times total. Um, while I was with him, I moved to a town that had standard uh, I'll say standard jiu-jitsu, but they had gi jiu-jitsu, and I, I just found a love for that. And so uh, I'd had that one last fight, uh, stop fighting and just concentrating on uh, gi jiu-jitsu. I mean, I still do no gi. It's, it's enjoyable to me, but a lot of people are surprised when they find out that I was a wrestler that I prefer gi over no gi. Uh, I just I love the aspects of gi jiu-jitsu. I just, uh, like I said, I still do no gi. I teach it. Uh, I train it. I compete in it. But if I have a preference... Uh, probably I'd say 90% of the time I'd be in the gi and, and 10% no gi. So. Right. You, you did mention fighting for, for MMA for a while. Uh, some, of the, some of the main takeaways that you got from that um, during your time fighting MMA? Um, some of the main takeaways are, you know, just the, the training regimen for that. If you're going if, if to want to fight MMA and good, you're going to have to train a lot on all aspects of your game. So it's the very, biggest thing very that strict. I got to take away from that is a lot of my time got occupied with trying not to get my ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried not to get my ass kicked by training harder. Right. Um, so, you know, just be prepared to uh, put the work in. Uh, I, I've got a saying that your, your work ethic has got to um, support what your dream is. If your work ethic doesn't support your dream, then all you have is just a, a hope and a prayer on something that you want to do. Uh, if you get a, a dream of something that you want to do, you've got to have a work ethic that's dedicated to make sure that happens. So that was the one thing that I've always tried to do is just make sure that if, if there's anything that I want to do that I'm committed to doing, that I, I set myself up to have a work ethic to support what that is. Otherwise, it's just bullshit. Honestly. Right, right. Um, and just kind of going through the motions and not even, you know, so, aside from the so, fact that there are injuries there and it's like you're not really doing it because you love it. You're just kind of you're yeah. there. Next thing you know, I mean, thing, I mean you, you can be you can get injured and be injured and, and things like that mm-hmm. and still, you know, be have a work ethic and be dedicated to that art or whatever it is that you're doing. I mean, anything. I mean, whether it's being a graphics designer and mm-hmm. you want to own your own business someday, but if you're just going through the motions, you know, not seeking, you know, the the hardest positions available to try to um, 
hone your craft and your skill, then your work ethic isn't supported by what your dream is. And those two are never going to link up. And a lot of times what ends up happening is people, you know, start blaming other people. Well, I couldn't do it because of this, or I couldn't do it because of that, man. Everybody's got obstacles and everything in life. And the only thing is, is you got to put your mind to it, get a work ethic to uh, support what you want to do. And then just keep pounding away until you get there. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I always, once I started working, even before then, my dad always told me, you know, you're going to start hearing all these things when you start working. It might not make sense now, but, you know, he would tell me stories about what he had to go through, you know, being an immigrant, coming here to the U.S., having to go through all those hurdles, even while still supporting a family, uh, going to night school and you know, working, you know, whatever he could have at that time, you know, as far as a job, um, you know, wasn't the office gig he has now but even then you know he would always tell me these stories and you know i took it i never took it for granted and sure enough i started having those experiences with other people fellow co-workers that would try to try to one-up me just because they're a higher superior and i'm like nah that's not how this works you know right. I, I don't care if you you know you want to try to pull rank on me it, you can do it all day you know but we're not going to get we're not going to get anything done if we're constantly doing this. And I saw this a lot where I used to work at it. It's really a shame. Uh, you don't have to like the person you're working with, but as long as you're on the same page, everything just flows like, you know, like crazy. Oftentimes, right. if you're not on the same page, it's going to be chaos, miscommunication, uh, and then blaming each other. Like you mentioned before, it's nuts. Isn't it, isn't it crazy how, you know, you th when you're young, it's like you don't think about these things. And looking back now, you're like, man, I never had to worry about anything <laughs> when I was younger. Now yeah, you got to worry about uh, <laughs> crazy, yeah. you got to worry about bills and relationships and you know having a family and crazy pandemics going around, uh, all sorts of crazy things. It, it's it's weird how I got introduced to jujitsu. It, it was I even go back as far back as when I was a kid, you know, even as far back as when the UFC was still kind of in the underground, like in the mid to late 90s. Uh, I would go to the video store and I would see all the all the cassettes on the wall. And I'm like, man, what is that? I look I turn it over and I'd be like, no, this was still when I was still like in into pro wrestling as a kid. I'm not saying I'm into it now, but, you know, as a kid, you got to look for something. <laughs> So I would see that on the wall, and I'm like, man, this is crazy. So people beat each other up. I'm like, I didn't get it at that time. I would watch clips here and there, and as I got older, I started understanding. I'm like, wow, this is something completely different. And, of course, I finally started watching. I think this was when, uh, I want to say, like, maybe mid-2000s when I started watching, and I really started getting into it. Uh Still had no clue what jiu-jitsu was at the time. I knew it was its own little thing, like its own little, own little niche. Uh, maybe about four years ago, I noticed that they were going to open a, a school here in the Heights. And I, I thought about it for maybe like 10 minutes. And I said, you know what? I'm up for a challenge. Why not? <laughs> Eventually signed up and started training you know the very limited amount of training that i have now it's it's been very eye-opening on a lot of a lot of different things first thing i noticed was my cardio i thought it was i thought it was pretty decent man that that got exposed pretty quick <laughs> 
and you know just kind of going through and learning all the different all the different intricacies that that the sport has you know you can't just walk in there and think you're the strongest person in the world because that ain't gonna work <laughs> yeah that ain't gonna work uh, but i've i've really learned to enjoy it and it's really uh it's really to me it, i really feel bad because you know of course all these gyms aren't open right now and you know it being a, a contact sport you know you're in such close quarters it's like you really have to take the people's health into consideration and i really appreciate and admi admire what you and all the other professors are doing as far as teaching the virtual classes and uh, kind of outlining all these all these different protocols that you guys are going to follow um, you know to ensure the, the people's health and safety first and foremost yeah um, yeah that's kind of a touchy thing too I've, I've been pretty like I said I got a strong opinion on a lot of things right this is one of them that I have a strong opinion on. Uh, I, I just don't understand. I mean, I, I understand how viruses work, and I understand how this virus works, and I understand how it's contracted and spread and things like that. But I also understand that you can't put life and the world on pause while you try to figure out how to deal with this. So... What happens if people are saying, well, you know, if I just get it or whatever, we don't know if you're ever going to get it, if you can be healed or if you're not get not healed, but if you cannot get it again or get reinfected or things like that. So what happens if you can't? Are we just going to stop our lives for the rest of our lives mm -hmm. until they can figure out a vaccine and then we go from there? I mean, it's not that – it hasn't been reported as that type of thing. Um, it hasn't been reported that another person has got it after already getting it. It's also not – been reported about the, the, the type of person that gets this, that has underlying conditions that's generally older. I mean, there's a whole graph on all of these things. You know, and when someone decides to make an opinion on something superseding a constitutional right, that's where I kind of have an issue with it. Like, I have a right as an American for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Absolutely. And what's happening right now is none of those things. They've taken away all of our liberties. They've taken away our rights to operate a business or operate freely or operate in general. There was even a person that tried to make a law or, or a um, – thing saying that who I was allowed to have in my house like how are you going to tell me who I can invite into wow. my own personal home so there, I hadn't heard that one before some, <laughs> that's crazy no, that's you, crazy you hear, you, when, when that judge from Houston whatever her uh -huh. name is right right put out the, the uh, restrictions on closing down businesses mm -hmm. one of the things was you could only have the person, the people that live in your house, in your house. You couldn't have other people from outside of your dwelling come to your dwelling. That was one of the, the guidelines. Check it out. So no friends, no relatives, no friends, nothing. Nothing. Unless they lived in your household, you had to go there. Her second directive was everyone had to wear a mask outside of outside of the house. 
Like, now you've got somebody that doesn't know anything about how to decontaminate or how contamination works. Like, the thing that drives me bananas is when I'm driving my car and I see people with masks either on their face, their chin, or their forehead (laughs) wearing gloves in their car. And they are the people that are actually worse than anyone else because they're touching and spreading everything on everything. Right, just because someone told them to do it. They don't realize that everything they touch sticks to those gloves Mm -hmm. and then they transfer that to every single thing that they touch. Right. Right. It's insanity, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, it's... a lot of what's happening with this is not common sense. People are reacting in a in a frightened, scared, um, I need to be told what to do manner. Mm. And I don't know, I've just never been, I, I'm, a, I'm a person that believes in um, common sense, uh, a person that believes in, you know, looking at risks, trying to avoid them, mitigate them, but you can't live your life in fear of life. It's kind of like otherwise we wouldn't drive cars. Yeah, that, that's exactly where I was going lanes. to. <laughs> right. I wouldn't walk down the street. I wouldn't go to zoos. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do anything in my life. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I and, and I know that right now is a different time than that with what we're dealing with. Uh, COVID nineteen and everything like that. So I, I mean, I I'm not ignorant to the fact that it's not business as usual here but there's got to be a better way than to close the world's economy down close businesses and allow Chuck E. Cheese to operate I can go to Chuck E. Cheese the movie theaters and the mall but I can't go to a gym like a gym I can't get healthy I can't exercise but I can go to Chuck E. Cheese one of the most disgusting places on the planet I can go to the mall, which I don't understand why the mall is essential because anything that I need to order in the world, I can do online or go to every other business that's open, like Target, Walmart, Home Depot, Lowe's, all of those are open. Why do I need to go to the mall? Yeah. And the movie theaters. (laughs) Like, really? The movie theaters? Hmm. Not in this this lifetime. (laughs) Not in this lifetime. You you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. Do, do have, did you not get your buddy's Netflix password? I mean, can you not get the movie theaters don't need to be operating? No, the movie industry is could fully release movies and charge for them, but they're not going to make their millions that they would have in the in the interim. So who's going to suffer in this case? Small small business owners, right? And when they talk about small business owners, I don't under, understand how the Lakers who got $40 million for this bailout and then they gave it back but how did they get any money out of this deal? Yeah. Or at least get $40 million? Like how is that a small business? Like explain that to me. You know I have my dad and I talk about you know a lot of things as far as what's been going on and everything it's just like you mentioned some of this is just even I'm taking it back. I was taking it back when I heard about the whole inmate situation. And I'm thinking, I'm like, wait a minute. So 
Yeah, that thing drives that. I don't. I don't get that either. So you know, having working, been working with the county, and having gone up there several times, you're telling me, and you know, for the, for the audience, you know, we talk about whatever we want. You know, like you said, like I say, we all have our, our opinions, some stronger than others, but hey, it's whatever. Um, you're telling me that. I'm going to get fined $1,000 if I walk out of my house without a face mask. But you're willing to let these inmates get released because of fear that they might have the virus in the jail. Instead of keeping them in there to stop stop the spread, you're going to release them to society and probably going to go out, kill somebody or rob somebody. I don't know. Dude, did you hear but, what the Houston mayor said at the very beginning of this? He's like, criminals, criminals, just take a month off. Don't be a criminal during this month. Like, how about not be a criminal ever? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the thinking that is happening right now is just, like, literally blowing my mind. Mine, too. Like, how people can wrap their heads around, like, what's happening. And thinking it's okay. Like, all of it. Yeah, and... and all of us being exposed to doing this right. other than the way that we're currently operating. Right. It's like, how, how are you going to find somebody? You know, what if that individual, you know, doesn't even have enough money to buy a face mask or even try to make one at home? You can't like, it just doesn't, I feel for that person. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> what I can to. When I heard that that's what the requirement was going to be, the army and me came back out. I'm like, well, are they going to be <laughs> issuing these masks? Like, are they going to be said. giving them out? Because if you're going to force me to wear it, then you should be issuing them yeah. on a regular basis. Hey, come exchange. We want to make sure everybody's safe. You know, the, the, the I think how they went about this whole thing was backwards. And I really think that businesses would have bought into it more if businesses didn't have to beg for money and then not get it. I think if they wanted businesses to close – they would have given they would have said okay look your business give us your financials we're going to pay you day 1 for you to close not you close and then try to figure it out on the back end because all that does is get other people rich and get money distributed to other people that really lose the people that really need that money to continue to operate right if they would have done it the other way and said hey we've got all this money send us your stuff we want you to close we're going to do it at the front end of this for mm-hmm. you to close your business. And then then things, bills would get taken care of. People would be able to sustain their businesses, their livelihood, their everything. And there wouldn't be this big issue because they would know that when this got done, they would have a business to come back to or they would have a life to come back to. Doing it the opposite way, what you're finding is businesses that close down – because they were told that they had to and that they were told that we're going to support you and help you get through this and then nothing is happening on the back end. And now that we've been into this for over a month, we're finding that businesses are going to have to close down. They're not able to pay their bills. Uh, they're not able to pay their mortgages, their rents, their their employees, everything. And the answer is, well, the money's out there. Yeah, but it's not getting to the small businesses that need it. 
Right. It's going to large corporations that have lobbyists, which is the exact reason that movie theaters are open. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's just a shame, you know. And not to say you know, stuff like this has always gone on, but I, I, I guess something like this, a pandemic like this, has finally exposed everything as far as politics, uh, the healthcare system, uh, just everything in particular. How is it that the WWE can operate, but I can't operate? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it, it really doesn't. And I'm not going to watch it because, you know, there's, I haven't seen it in years, but I see the clips online and I'm, I'm thinking, why are these guys still, aren't you supposed to not be that close to each other? I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. But, you know, it's, it's, I look at it as bizarro world and I'm like, man, this just. I don't know where we're headed, but I'm I'm a very optimistic person anyways. I do feel that, you know, everything, it might not be back to normal tomorrow, next week, next month, but you know, we're all going to get back on our feet. We have to. It's uh, it's in our nature, at least in my nature. You know, I'm still working from home. I'm, I still have to do what I have to do to pay my bills. My dad's doing the same thing. And, of course, yourself, you're doing the same thing with your gym. Uh, but you know, let's make room for all these people that we're gonna find. Release these inmates and have at it. Well, yeah, you better hand me a gun if you're gonna start releasing inmates. <laughs> I'm like, nah, that 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 didn't that didn't sit well with you know. I, I I talked to a few friends, fellow coworkers, relatives, even family members, and just appalled that that they would do such a thing. It's like. At that point, you might as well just release everybody and the whole system's just going to... There is no system if you start doing that. But, I mean, it's just... I agree. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, wow. You know, you think people be smarter than that, but... <laughs> I guess not. There's a lot of, lot, 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 of, uh, lot of ignorance that goes with it. And, of course, you know, uh, we're going back before talking about keyboard warriors and things like that, of course going into this uh the presidential administration and whatnot of course on both sides everybody's gonna have something to say and most of what i'm seeing is a lot of stupidity rather than just actually having the conversation about it actually breaking it down to okay this is why you can't do this you know i guess going over the pros and cons of things Instead, you know, people let their emotions get the best of them and say, no, well, you know, the president, this is like, well, slow down, like, slow down. I might not like the guy either, but slow down. Like, let's have a conversation about this and go over the pros and cons. But unfortunately, not everybody thinks that way. <laughs> oh, I, I completely understand about that and, and agree with uh, and agree with that. You know, people are always going to try to blame something for what's going on, you know? I mean, I, but uh, ultimately it's, it's going to come down to, you know, people trying to think smartly and, you know, make decisions that, I mean, what I'm not trying to say is this business is more important than anyone's life. Of course. But also, 
on the same circumstance, we put in risk management or risk mitigation measures to reduce as much risk as we possibly can. Um, and we should be allowed to operate. Um, I'm not forcing people to come here. I'm not forcing people to, you know, occupy this space, but as a business owner, I have the right to be able to operate my business freely, just like everybody else is. I don't understand in the race of human beings, how one human being is more important than another. And that brings up a lot of different things that comes with everything that goes along with that statement. But how are you going to tell one person that they're essential, another person that they're not essential? We're all essential. Of course. Every single one of us is essential with what we do in our lives. So for people to try to designate one person being more essential than another, I think is the most moronic and idiotic thing that a person could possibly do. We're all human beings. And we should be free to make the choices that we want to make. If I have people that want to come in here and train jiu-jitsu and I can do it in a safe environment, I should be able to do that. I shouldn't have to wait for permission when someone has no idea what I do in my business to be able to tell me, oh, yeah, your business that's grouped into everything else, you guys can finally operate now even though we have no idea what you do. <laughs> I just – Man. It's just pure ignorance out there. How how do you feel? How do you feel? And I know this is is taking a big effect uh, to your business, but how do you feel this uh, gets back to normal? As far as like a time frame, do you feel like it goes back to normal soon, or are you going to start implementing new measures? As far as uh, starting tomorrow, I'm going to have a twelve o'clock live regular jujitsu class every single day, Monday through Friday. Next week, starting May 4th, I'm going to have three levels of the jiu-jitsu class in the morning and three levels of jiu-jitsu class in the afternoon. I'm going to have a 30-minute virtual class. I'm going to have a 30-minute contact-free class here in the academy with 12 people. And then I'm going to have a live class, regular class afterwards. So if a person in their mind decides that they want to stay home and, and um, be home, I've got a virtual class for them. If a person has decided, hey, we think it's safe, but I still want to get my distance a little bit. We've got that type of class where there's no contact with anyone. And I posted a video on how we're going to conduct that class on, on the Academy's YouTube channel. And then I've had so many people begging me to open so that way they could, they could participate in jujitsu. I, I made the decision that I'm going to have a live class. It's going to be members only. You know, I'm, I'm normally very, very receptive to people that want to come in and train, drop in. I don't have a drop-in fee. If you want to come in and, and, and be a part of our academy for a class or whatever, I've, I've generally met, never had a problem with that. Visitors from out of town, come on in. Let's train jiu-jitsu. I love teaching. I love training jiu-jitsu. I love sharing the art with people. Um, but we're, we're not going to do that right now. Um, I, I, can't, I can't take that risk having people that are not members that could possibly do something to this environment to get people and not make it safe. Right. So it's only going to be members, no drop-ins. I'm not going to have my open mat yet for a little bit. I still have a brujitsu planned in September or in, uh, in June. There is a brujitsu planned at eighth wonder for June 20th right now. Hopefully I'll still be able to conduct that. 
I, I think uh, June time frame that we should be able to open up a, a more regular schedule of less and honestly this has really changed how I'm going to teach jiu-jitsu or how I'm going to distribute jiu-jitsu in the future I'm probably still going to do a virtual class a day I'm probably still going to post a lot of stuff as far as the techniques and things like that on our YouTube channel um, but and I'm probably going to change a little bit how we structure how we're doing some of our drilling with in, in the classes um, because I have found and you know there's a lot of skepticism out there as far as how the, what I'm about ready to say but I have found that there have been dramatic jumps and improvements in people training in a virtual environment now what I'm not saying is posting pages or, uh, or videos to YouTube people train in on their own in private and then they come back in and they try to tell me what they do no I'm talking about a virtual like jujitsu class you're there I'm here I teach you I see what you're doing I give you corrections as you're doing it just like I would if I was here the only difference is I can't physically touch you and I have to be able to tell you and describe what I want you to do so the main problem that a lot of instructors could potentially have is the ability to get that person to do what you want them to do and, and to describe the actions that they're doing incorrectly and be able to give them construction and, and um, advice and direction on how to do it correctly without physically being able to touch them. That, I think, is what a lot of people are going to have a problem with. Being able to correct someone and not physically touch them, which isn't that what coaching is? If a person's competing and you're trying to give them direction on how to do something and complete it from a distance without physically being able to stop what's happening true. and touch them, isn't that what coaching is? Very true. So if you're, if you're a good coach, shouldn't you also be a good virtual instructor and be able to talk someone through a technique? I mean, right. I, I think re I really just think people need to think out of the box and open their mind to what they maybe had thought in the past as something that wasn't possible. You know, the biggest thing, the biggest detriment that anyone could ever say is this is the way that we've always done it, so this is the way that we're going to continue to do it. No innovation, no outside-the-box thinking, and no adaptation to your environment. I mean, I've taught jujitsu classes in an academy, I've taught jiu-jitsu classes on a army base. I've taught jiu-jitsu classes in a war zone. I've taught jiu-jitsu classes all over the world. And the one thing that you always have to do is those three things. Think outside the box, adapt to your circumstances, and be an effective leader and coach. If you can do those three things, you're going to be able to operate coaching and teaching jiu-jitsu in no matter what environment that you're in. Right. Right. If you're so closed-minded that you can only operate in this manner ever, that's where the problem comes into play. So I think really what this is going to teach us is that we need to be able to open our minds to teaching jiu-jitsu in multiple different ways and using multiple um, formats to be able to distribute our teachings. Right, and, and I feel that even – even when things like that, I think it makes 
I, I think it just makes your whole life a lot easier rather than just being just so narrow-minded and having the having trouble with the most trivial stuff it's like you know it's like i believe in, in any line of work you know like for us okay you guys are going to work from home it's like okay most of what we do is we we're in contact with people all the time kids parents face to face a lot less than what what i used to do but still we still have to keep in touch with them weekly uh have them submit essays when they can and just kind of learn to improvise okay if a crisis is going on you know we'll, we'll we'll talk to them and try to see what's going on if we have to refer them to uh, therapy or you know things like that where a licensed professional can handle that then we would do that but we've also had to improvise on what we do of course you know not a lot of us have printers at home where we could print stuff we can't access the 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 main uh, mainframe that we have at work because that's just you know county issue, but we still have some people that that do have access to that, so we have to get in touch with them and uh, just kind of kind of let them know that we're still here. We're not just you're not off probation because you're at home. No, those same rules still apply. If you're on probation, if you haven't finished whatever I'm telling you to finish, you got to finish it. Otherwise, you're gonna go back to court. It doesn't matter if we're locked down. You know, you're still on probation. So I keep reminding these parents, I say, look, if something comes up and I've had instances where something always comes up, I don't find out till a week later and I get back to him. I say, well, why am I finding out about this now? I can't do anything now. You know, you expect me to lock this kid up. I can't do we can't do that. And so even 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 in that moment, if you let me know ahead of time, you could probably prevent a lot of these things that might occur. Uh, but it's just a matter of, and and I've always, I've, I've been fortunate to have been able to work in different settings in such a short amount of time, you know, residential institutions, uh, working in the field, having to go on a court so many times. And it's just kind of take a, a little takeaway from each, each, uh, each field. They all operate differently, but like you mentioned before you don't have the work ethic it's just you're just going to be doing it going through the motions and i've always found that in every position i've been in that putting in the work does actually help in the long run and i've encountered a situation you know before where i'm at now where it just wasn't where i wanted to be and having to deal with having to deal with things that didn't make sense and you know, superiors telling you what to do and, and the way, not telling you what to do, but I guess the way they would tell you, kind of like putting you down instead of just, hey, you know, you made a mistake or, you know, correct this. It, it, it was more than that. But, I mean, ultimately opportunity came and I took it, ran with it and was able to get out of there instead of just going through the that misery. But I had to, I had to endure that for six months. Right. I didn't like it and... I couldn't just quit because that's not what I do. I can't quit just because I don't like it. But I have to I have to find something that that tells me, okay, I'm not gonna quit. I'm simply just gonna transfer over and just take everything that I've learned here and apply it here. While still, you know, getting paid and all sorts of things. But 
all, all throughout this short journey it's uh it's been very eye-opening to go back and reflect and see people that i went to school with how just how close-minded they are and just how and maybe maybe they're satisfied with what what they're living with and but i see some of them that are just they're like man i should have gone to college or i should have enlisted in the military i should have done this yeah you should have you should have just done it then and there (laughs) you know it's too late you know 10 years go by i'm coming up on my uh, 10-year high school anniversary next month i'm just stunned at how at how quick that went and i and i wonder i wonder man I could just imagine what that would have been like if I had no further education, no job experience, just being a bum. I can't picture right. myself. I can't picture myself being a bum. How long would? How long did you have you been teaching overall, jujitsu? I started teaching jujitsu up in Clarksville, Tennessee, in two thousand and eight. Man, I was a brown belt when I started teaching. I moved to. Uh, I moved to Clarksville, and there wasn't a um, man. My freaking computer is going crazy right now. Uh, the the virus. The vi- I think the virus will do that. <laughs> right. Trying to close my email keeps opening up. Did we lose Brian? Uh, I think the connection might have got cut off. Let me see. Uh, come on. See, here's what happens. Uh, let's see. See if we can get him back in again. Oh. You know, I should be good with technology and how to work these things, but. Apparently, I'm not. Uh, let's see. Maybe if I can get him back on. Hold on a second. There we go. Yeah, I, I, I got you. Man, I don't know. Somehow <laughs> with my Wi-Fi. But anyway, uh, I started teaching jiu-jitsu in 2008. Um, I was a great Gracie Baja guy at the time. Professor Tusa from uh, Gracie Baja, New Mexico, promoted me to brown belt. I moved to Tennessee because I got reassigned in the Army to uh, Fort Campbell. I got to Fort Campbell and the coach like three months prior. Um, so he asked if I wanted to teach. I really didn't want to teach. I just wanted to be a competitor at that time. I didn't want to be an instructor at all. The other gym that was in town, I really didn't want to train at. Uh, it was just my personal choice to not train there. So I ended up uh, coaching at this other place for a little bit. And then uh, I left that place started uh coaching only in the army at uh with uh john rankin at fifth group for fifth uh, special forces group at their combatives room and then uh a guy named james hoskins and i um and john ended up opening up uh clarksville brazilian jiu-jitsu academy that later became gracie Baja, or yeah that later became gracie Baja clarksville that is now hands of gracie clarksville so i started teaching up there in 2008 I left there in 2012, and then it became uh, it went from being Clarksville Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy to a uh, Gracie Baja in 2015. Yeah. Wow. 
It's, uh, eight, 18, so like 12 years. 18, 18, 18, I've been 13, teaching for 12 13. years. And then add that to the, to actually practicing the art. Uh, like three years prior to that. Man, that's a long time. Add that and, the you know, military experience and all this I other stuff. I didn't want to coach either because I was like, man, I've only been training so long. I just compete. You know, I, I really haven't tried to do any type of instructing before. I've never even wanted to try to instruct before. I just want to be told what to do, go practice it, and then go execute it in a match and and try to choke them. That's all I – that was my, my mentality of it at the time. And I did what – I gave my own advice to myself. I had to adapt to my surroundings, think outside the box, and do something that – needed to be done in, in, in a constructive way. So I started teaching and it, and it was rough at first because like I said, I was a competitor. I didn't want to be a teacher, but I, I learned so much about jujitsu teaching and I learned that I really enjoyed being able to share jujitsu with people and teach them what I knew and see them go from here to there and, and their progression in between. And, uh, what that's evolved into is nowadays, I mean, I just, I, I still love competing, not as much as I used to, but man, I really love coaching and, and seeing uh, the positive effects jujitsu has on people's lives. I mean, I've seen kids that literally it would take weeks for them to join the class. I had to have them as my special instructor right beside me during classes and warm-ups and, hey, you want to go try that out yet? Nope. I want to stay right here. Okay, man, you can be my helper today then. Two weeks later, they get into class. Two months later, they're gaining confidence two years later they're my number one leader in that class so i mean it's it's amazing to see somebody that went from so shy and um scared to participate in a group class of anything to now they're the leader in that class i mean case in point is a is a, a young student that i have his name is gavin that that guy has taken every single one of my virtual classes he's killing it right now i've seen his technique go from here through the roof all because he wants to participate and he was like i said for the first couple weeks in class i had to keep him with me and now he's my number one leader in that class so it's and, and it can be done if you just open your mind and think outside the box right you know, before we wrap up here, I, I was going through your social media the other day, and I saw a picture of uh, you and your son at the gym. I'm like, man, the last last time I saw this kid, he was not he was not that Guys, tall. Guys, I've got uh, Lauren Murphy, UFC Hi. superstar, with me right now. Oh, nice, nice to meet you. Yeah. Her her husband coaches with me here, uh, Professor Joe Murphy, and. Uh, She's she's here to say hello to him. So nice, we got a virtual nice. class to teach this evening. So we're not recording so any videos, so you don't have to worry about your hair or nothing like that. Right. <laughs> it's just strictly audio. That's it. <laughs> Hence why I'm wearing a baseball cap too. I haven't gotten a haircut in like a whole month. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. I guess all the dudes kind of yeah, they're feeling it right that's now. That's the way to go now. <laughs> See, you don't have to worry about that. All right. That's nice you too. Thank you for popping in. Yeah, I was I was looking at I was like, man, last time I saw this kid in person, he was not this tall. Oh, I'm looking at him now. I'm like, the kid's bigger than me. I'm like, God, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And and I used to he used to uh, he qualified for state this year. His, his first year on varsity qualified for state. 
Um, I never pushed him to wrestle. I wanted him to wrestle, but I don't live vicariously through my kids. They're independent human beings. Um, my job is to not make them little versions of me. My job is to make them a productive member of society when they get out of my house. Um, I love my kids. Um, I, I think of them as, as my friend, but I'm their parent. So I'm going to tell them things. I'm going to tell them, no, they're not going to like me. We're going to have a discussion, but I wanted this dude to wrestle. And when he tried it, it was a horrible experience. Terrible. He was just like me, just wasn't very mature, um, especially as a kid. You know, this was like six years old or seven, something like that, that we, we tried wrestling out on him. He's been training jiu-jitsu one year less than I've been training jiu-jitsu. So this dude's been training jiu-jitsu a long time. But he takes breaks or he used to take breaks for football or other sports and stuff like that. So it's been continuous training but with short breaks in between. But he's been helping me with classes. I mean, we train a lot now. He's been doing uh, – he qualified for, like I said, state his first year of varsity. So it's, it's great to see him um, grow literally. Um, his freshman year, he was like 132 pounds or something. Last year, he was like 160. This year, he's like 182. So, I mean – He's he's getting big, and he's he's bigger than I am right now. I mean, he's he's bigger than me. So that's it's cool wow. to have another large human being around. So no, that's good that that you give you give him those tools to you know to succeed in life because you don't I don't see a lot of that going around these days. And you know, I took I remember one time I went to go train, and my dad wanted to go with me. I was like, sure, let's go. So, you know, he's just sitting there. He's just watching, you know. He's not going to jump in because he knows his role and the professor's role in there. You know, he's just there to watch. And he was amazed at how uh, how well the professor would explain things. You know, every little, even to the smallest detail. Um, but he was just sitting there just watching me get beat up and never said a word. Never cut in or anything like that. He'd see me get slammed or anything and I'd get right back up and he'd just be watching. That's, I think that's because I, I I see it a lot too. Parents yelling at their kids. Oh, you're not, especially in the sport. I've seen it multiple times. I'm like, man, chill. Like, let the professor handle this. That's what he's there for. You know, that's his job. You know, you can't just go in there and start dictating the whole class. <laughs> Otherwise, he'd be teaching teach them wrong. Uh, Gracie Baja Katie, Luke would trade with me up there, and uh, when Luke was in the class to take a class. I couldn't be in the class. Right. <laughs> I'd have to sit out and I'd have to observe outside as a parent. I couldn't be in there because, you know, I want things to operate in a certain way and I want my son to act in a certain way. And I know that he's not going to act that way. So I would let the other, the other professors would handle it. They would take the class and then I would teach other classes and other kids and other things like that. But yeah, when initially like now it's not that way. But when he was younger, I, I couldn't be in the same room as him because I didn't want to be, oh, you need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. You need, I, I wasn't that type of parent. So I, I was like, hey, somebody else can teach my kid. You know, I, I trust in your abilities. You're a, a, you're a professor. You're a black belt. I don't, I don't need to be trying to coach from the sidelines on what I think that that kid should be doing. You're the professor. Right. You instruct him. You know, you let, you let him do. And if you need to punish, punish him. You don't need to look at me. You're the instructor, make it happen, you know? Right. So I think in that environment, I think if a lot of people would realize that it's their journey, not your journey, you know? But mm -hmm. it's it's sometimes tough, you know, as, as parents to not, I mean, I want the best for my kid. You know, I, I, I pay for private lessons. 
Um, I paid for private lessons for my daughter when she was trying to do uh, um, uh, competitive cheer and competitive gymnastics. You know, if what my your work ethic, your goal, what's your goal? Okay, I'm going to make sure your work ethic gets you to that, you know? So if that means private lessons or that means this or that, then let's make that happen. But you tell me what your goal is. And I asked my son that too at the end of the wrestling season. I said, what's your goal? And he said, I want to place next year. I was like, well, that's not good enough. I mean, like, like get a specific goal. I mean, that's a general goal. Placing next year is great. But specific, get a specific goal. I want to place top three, third or better. I'm like, all right. So now think about what you need to do to make that happen. Okay. And then he told me, well, I need to do this, this, and this. All right. Well, let's make sure your work ethic dictates that goal. So I'm, I'm not making it happen. He's got to make it happen, but I've got to be able to help him facilitate that because as a parent, a lot of times he doesn't know what he needs to do to make those things happen. So, I mean, I'm not going to over parent him by trying to make him do things that he doesn't want to, but if his work ethic has to be able to meet what his goal is, otherwise, like I said, it's just a, a false hope or dream. You know, it's not a real goal. Right, right. My my dad always taught me to write down my goals because that's what he did, you know, coming up as a young journeyman himself. Um, you know, having that goal of becoming a U.S. citizen, uh, getting his degree, and finally being able to work where he, you know, f- for what he's worth. You know, he, he came from Mexico with a degree already, but had to endure almost 20 years of hard manual labor just to get to where he's at today and you know of course there was there was layoffs in between uh and i know what it's like you know a lot of people say well you know you don't i'm like trust me dude i know what it's like literally coming from nothing having just you know 10 bucks for groceries and what do you buy with that you just get what you can (laughs) you improvise there's no you can't just sit there and just go hungry. <laughs> I'm going to eat those pot pies. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going hungry. But he, he always taught me to to write down those goals. And surely enough, I found that it worked. All that worked. And to this day, you know, I still I still have goals written down that I haven't accomplished yet. I haven't. I'm not there yet, but I'm going to get there. Just having to put in the work and, you know, doing this. I can't, I decided, I said, man, if I can't do the podcast in person with people, let's just call them. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) This works. We're at a safe distance, but we're still not living in fear. (laughs) So, uh, Professor, anything you want to plug before we wrap up? Any plugs you want to throw out? Anything? Just whatever it may be. I'd just like to, you know, thank everybody for, or thank you for having me on and, you know, thank the people that support me. I mean, obviously, uh, Henzo Gracie Houston, this academy, uh, my partners uh, here and up in Lake Houston, the Grove, and you know all the other gyms. My sponsors with Show Your Roll and Monkey Tape and New Defeon, um and BJJ Prep, which is a new thing that's coming out to help people um, um, prepare their bodies better uh, for injuries that are generally sustained in jujitsu and to strengthen and their uh, muscles and their flexibility. It's a, a really cool program. Um, headed off by a physical therapist and an exercise science doctor um, that used to be students of mine that live out in Virginia. Now they developed this thing that uh, 
that they just started up, and it's a really cool program that uh, is going to be coming to the to the jiu-jitsu community soon. Um, but other than than that, just thank everybody for for tuning in, and you know, I hope everybody stays safe and is able to start training jiu-jitsu and. Uh, we all get through this together in a in a positive manner, and hopefully the economy can open back up soon, and you know we can start to move back forward. Um, I don't want to use like a the term new normal. There, there is. I mean, everything's a new normal. Like every day, you make a decision, and that then becomes the new normal. So people use the term normal. I mean, no, it's just you adapt, you change. You know, you're always moving forward with life. So as we move forward with this, um, you know, I'm just going to be um, really, really happy to open up the new gym down in Riverstone and uh, fill it with students like I have been the past six years. So appreciate you having me on. And the, the website is tensilgracyhouston.com, and you can yep. find all the information there as far as programs, uh, class schedules, um, media, just about everything and anything facebook instagram youtube it's all there so uh professor thank you for taking the taking the time to come on and you know we finally made it <laughs> we finally made I it after it. I know years it's been a long years. time coming we talked about this for literally years so i appreciate you uh you having me on i know you got a really popular podcast so it'll be good to uh share it and tune in and uh i appreciate you having me we're getting there we're, we're I, I just got to keep putting in the work and i really true true appreciate um all the seminars you've had that i've had the pleasure of going you know half gracie uh the the uh year anniversaries that go on i've had some pretty cool people here man i've had buchecha i've had uh um uh Ostima, jt torres gordon ryan half gracie i mean you think uh some people I've had here, it's been some, it's just a cool vibe in this gym, man. It really is. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what I try to bring just a really great, cool vibe and environment to learn jujitsu in with, you know, as little ego as possible and as much fun and excitement as possible, you know? Yeah. And you're just getting started. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate you. You're too. just getting started. Thanks, Brian. Talk to you soon. I'll talk to you soon.